to God's word. Lord, we pray as we come to your word now, Lord, that you would just open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear and open our hearts to understand and to respond to your word. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but at the end of a lot of Paul's letters, he mentions names of people. And uh, this is particularly true in his letters to the Romans and his epistle to the Colossians. Whole string of names. And obviously he felt that these people deserved a mention for one reason or another, mostly because they served the church community in some way. I call them Paul's people. Paul's people. Now, I've only got information on a few of them, of any detail at all, and we're going to be looking at some of these together this morning. And we start in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. In fact, in Romans 16, Paul sent greetings to 26 people by name. 26 people by name. And before listing all of those, however, he commended to the Roman church to whom he was writing while in Corinth, a woman named Phoebe. He commends this lady to the Roman church. Phoebe apparently actually didn't live in Corinth, but Cancrea, which is the port that served Corinth in those days. So Paul wrote this letter while he was in Corinth, although actually if you look down at verse 22, you'll see he didn't actually write it down, as he didn't with hardly any of his letters. He dictated it, and a guy called Tertius wrote it down. It must have been a difficult job, don't you think, being a scribe to the Apostle Paul? Because ideas just seem to come flying out. And you're trying to desperately keep up with what he's saying and get it all written down. Then suddenly he goes off of a tangent. and You, think, you feel like interrupting and saying, oh, excuse me, but did you just want to f- finish that point you were on first? Uh, <laughs> and then eventually he'll come back to it several verses later and so on. Anyway, God bless Tertius. He wrote it down. And it seems from what we read there that Phoebe was entrusted with actually taking this letter to Rome. And that's presumably why Paul mentioned her first. And he asked the believers, if you look at verse 2, and I quote, to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. Paul's, uh, Phoebe's responsible work in the church of Corinth seems to have really impressed Paul. He's, she's referred to in verse 1 as a deaconess. And deaconess is an alternative rendering of the Greek word translated servant. And her ministry in that role in the church would have focused on helping the poorer and weaker members of the Christian community and indeed of the community around and also of assisting the younger women. And her service to the believers had become highly valued. Paul says in verse 2, Quote, she has been a great help to many people, including me. What a tremendous testimony that is, don't you think, to a person 
of a person's ministry in the church. She's been a great help, a great help to many people, including me. And indeed, that help for Paul, it's thought, could well have included financial support as well. And of course, the challenge of Phoebe is, do we, do we faithfully minister to the poor and needy in our church and in the community around us and take our responsibilities in these areas seriously. Now, the example of Phoebe shows that women were involved in important ways in the early church. Paul acknowledged the ministry of these ladies, and he greeted a number of them in this section of the letter. And he described six of them, Priscilla, Mary, Junias, Tryphena, Tryphosa and Persis, as fellow workers. Or he made reference to their hard work in the church and for the Lord. And you can see that in verses 3, 6 and 12. Now apart from Priscilla and uh, with her husband Aquila and Phoebe herself, little is known about those other ladies. But that doesn't mean to say that they weren't as important as anybody else in the church. Like most of us, what they did in the service of the Lord may not have been widely known in the larger church, the early church, but most importantly, it was known to God. They were faithful in their service to the Lord. So that's Phoebe and all the others there. Now if we move over to Colossians chapter 4, we have several more people mentioned here. Colossians chapter 4. And verses 78, we learn, 7 to 8, we learn about a man called Tychicus. Now Tychicus, we know from Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, was a believer from Asia who probably lived in Ephesus. And Paul used three lovely phrases to describe him. These are the three lovely phrases. Number one, a dear brother. Number two, a faithful minister. And number three, a fellow servant. A dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Why did, he call, uh, why did Paul call him a dear brother? Well, because he... Tychicus was willing to stay with Paul when Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Tychicus could just have left Paul to get on with it, but he didn't. He saw that Paul was in need and he was determined to do what he could to support him. And during that time, when Tychicus was supporting Paul, Paul wrote letters that we know as Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians and Philippians. And the challenge of Tychicus is, like him, do we stand alongside those in difficulty and encourage them? Are we dear brothers and sisters to them? When we see people in need, do we stand by them? Or do we just stand by who knows, who knows what our support for someone in such times might enable them to be able to accomplish for God. 
In Paul's case, it was the writing of those four letters that we all benefit from. So, Tychicus was a dear brother. He was a faithful minister. He ministered to Paul and he ministered for Paul. He carried out various jobs and duties on his behalf. For example, delivering this particular letter to the Colossians. So Paul must have been confident that Tychicus could be relied upon. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. And he would get the job done. And he entrusted Tychicus to give a report to the Colossians. Not just take the letter, but give a report concerning his, Paul's, current situation, as you'll see from verse 7. So he was more than just a dear brother. Tychicus was Paul's personal representative to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. And you can see that in Ephesians 6, 21 to 22. And that challenges us to ask ourselves, am I trustworthy? Am I reliable? Am I dependable? When I'm asked to carry out a particular task in the church, can I be relied upon to do it without having to be chased all the time? Because to me, reliability is a mark of maturity in our walk with God. And so is the fact that we can be trusted. So is the fact that we show ourselves to be dependable. Is that how we are? Can somebody give us a task and just say, I know that will be done and move on to something else. It's a challenge, isn't it? And for fellow servant, we have to remember that Tychicus was not an apostle himself, but he was a co-worker with Paul. And later we find out that Tychicus was sent to Crete. We read about that in Titus 3, verse 12. And then later he was sent on to Ephesus, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 12. And Paul must have really rejoiced, don't you think, to have this dear brother that he was able to send to these places on his behalf with his communications, knowing that he could be trusted to do whatever he had asked him to. Now remember this, it can't have been easy for Tychicus to have been associated with Paul. Paul had a lot of enemies For example, many Jews were enemies of Paul. So Tychicus, by supporting Paul in this way and representing him, was putting his life in danger. But Tychicus always seems to me to choose the right way rather than the easy way. Which do we choose? The right way or the easy way? Even though, for Tychicus, it meant living in a virtual prison with Paul. He was prepared to do it. Do we do the right thing or do we do the easy thing? I like Tychicus. The church needs lots of people like Tychicus. I think he was a fantastic example to us all of maturity in God. May God help us to be a dear brother and a dear sister to those around us. Now moving down to verses 10 and 11 in Colossians 4 we come across Aristarchus. Aristarchus was actually a Jew who had become a believer. 
Acts 20 verse 4 tells us that he was from Thessalonica and that he became one of Paul's travelling companions. And we've already noted being with Paul was not an easy ride. It was not an easy ride. And he must have feared for his life on at least two occasions during his travels with Paul. We see him in Acts 19, 23 to 41, when he was in Ephesus with Paul. And there was a riot led by a silversmith called Demetrius, who wasn't taking very kindly to the fact that people were turning and accepting Christ as Saviour and therefore forsaking worship of Diana or Artemis and therefore didn't require to buy his little silver statuettes of her anymore. And the whole, he was the leader of the union. There was a big trade union there that totally objected (coughs) to the gospel message because it was costing them. It was biting into their trade and it all got very nasty and you can read about it in Acts chapter 19. And Demetrius and his friend Gaius were seized by this angry mob of workers and they were dragged into the amphitheatre in Ephesus. And I think at that point, Aristarchus and Gaius thought their last moment had come because this mob were in a mood for lynching. How the story ended, you can look up for yourself. On the second occasion, Aristarchus was on the ship with Paul and Luke on the way sailing to Rome. And we all know what happened to the ship in which Paul was sailing to Rome. It was wrecked on the coast of Malta. And you can see that in Acts chapter 27. And Aristarchus was on the boat. So not only did he have a narrow escape in Ephesus, he had a narrow escape on the sea as well at this shipwreck. And Aristarchus accompanied Paul all the way to Rome and he lived with him voluntary for a while during his time of house arrest. And Paul calls him in verse 10 there, my fellow prisoner. My fellow prisoner. See, Aristarchus was prepared to sacrifice and put his life on the line for the gospel. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Are we, like Aristarchus, prepared to do that? How much does the spread of the gospel mean to me? Moving down to verses 12 and 13, we find out about somebody called Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was probably converted in Ephesus while Paul was there. But he returned home to Colossae and he preached the gospel there and he actually founded the church in Colossae. Paul did not found the church in Colossae. In fact, Paul did not found all the churches to whom he wrote letters. But this is one of them. Colossae was founded by Epaphras. And he may also have founded the churches at Laodicea and Hierapolis, if you look at chapter 4 and verse 13. And he helped to keep the church together in the difficult times that they were experiencing. A challenge to me of Epaphras is, do I cement people together in the church or do I split them apart? Do I like Epaphras, 
cement people together or do I split them apart? In other words, am I mortar or am I dynamite? Am I mortar in the church or am I dynamite? Worth considering and very important to do so. Well, Epaphras went to Rome to report to Paul about heresy in the Colossian church. He was very, very worried about what was going on. The arrival of false teachers happened in most churches. There were hundreds of them, but I won't go down that road at the moment. And a lot of people in Colossae were being influenced by these false teachers. And Epaphras goes to Rome to tell Paul all about it. And the result was the writing of the letter to the Colossians. That's why it was written. Paul always wrote his letters for a reason. Didn't just get up in the morning and think, oh, you know what, I think I'll write to the Colossians today, ask them how they're doing. That wasn't how it worked at all. And he was there to combat the heresy in the Colossian church. You see, Epaphras, he was a team player. He wasn't just a servant, as he's described in verse 12, but Paul describes him in Colossians 1 and verse 7 as a fellow servant. A fellow servant. He was a team player. You know, in church ministry, it's very important to be team players rather than ploughing our own furrow. It's very important to pull together, to pull together in the same direction that the picture of being in a rowing boat is often used. The boat that wins is going to be the boat where all the oarsmen are pulling together. Not ones where one is thinking, actually, I think I prefer to go the other way or round in the other direction. That would be a lot more fun. No, they pull together in the same direction for the sake of the gospel, rather than having their own personal agendas and pulling the church apart. Very important to stay united. Paul pleads for the unity of the church and that no distractions will come in that will compromise the gospel. Now, one of the reasons that Epaphras' ministry was so successful was his prayer life. It even made an impact on Paul. So it must have been something. Look at verse 12. And there, Paul says of Epaphras, and I quote, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. So we can see from that phrase that Epaphras prayed constantly. He's always. We can see that he prayed fervently, wrestling. The Greek word translated wrestling also means agonising. He agonised in prayer. As far as he was concerned, it was a serious business. Thirdly, he prayed personally. He prays for you. And he prayed definitely. He knew what he was praying for. And that's set out in verse 13. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. You can build a church on mature and fully assured people. In other words, he was confident that they would resist the false teachings that were around, the false teachings of the Gnostics and those like them. 
and become mature and confident in God as they grew in their understanding of him and his ways. The challenge of this is we need to beware of false teaching. Wherever we go, whoever it comes from, whatever book it's in, whatever we hear on the internet, we need to test it against God's word. Because if it doesn't stand up to God's word, I don't care who's saying it, it's wrong. And it needs to be confronted and it needs to be sorted because otherwise it's going to split apart. And the church's, church history is full of such things happening and still does today. Epaphras had a real prayer ministry. He didn't just pray, he had a prayer ministry ministry. And you know the prayer ministry in the church is desperately needed. And I wonder if God is calling you into that ministry today. In verse 14 we meet Demas. Now Demas is mentioned three times in Paul's letters. He's mentioned in Philemon verse 24 where he's described as my fellow labourer along with Mark, Aristarchus and Luke. Here, where he's just called Demas, and then in 2 Timothy 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, we be- learn what became of him. And Paul writes, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And here we have the sadness of a man who strayed. A man who strayed from God's ways and fell into the ways of the world. And we can see from those three mentions that this wasn't a sudden thing, this was a progressive thing, not an immediate decline and fall. It gradually happened. And the challenge of Demas is, am I just a surface Christian who still retains the priorities of the world? If so, I'm sorry to tell you, there's only going to be one outcome. And that is the outcome of Demas. You see, Demas was just a convert. He was never a disciple. The challenge of Demas is, which am I? Am I going down that slippery slope where the priorities of the world are coming into my life more than the priorities of the kingdom of God? It's so easy to happen. It happens to all of us to a greater or lesser extent. Don't feel guilty if it happens. It's how you respond to that, that you recognise it, that you deal with it. And finally, in verse 17, we come to Archippus. Archippus is described as a fellow soldier in Philemon and verse 2. Now, Archippus was possibly the son of Philemon, as he's mentioned with him in the letter to Philemon, and he was even possibly the pastor of the church at Colossae. But poor old Archippus seems to have become discouraged in the work, probably due to all this false teachers thing and the impact that that was having in the church. And Paul here, in verse 17, reminds him. He reminds him of something really important, and it's this, that his ministry was a gift from God and that he must persevere with it, implying that God would help him to do so. 
Now this situation with Archippus serves to remind us how much we need to pray for our leaders and how much we need to pray for one another as we seek to serve the Lord. How are you feeling this morning about the work that God has entrusted you to do? Are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling frustrated? Maybe you're feeling exhausted. Maybe you're just feeling unable to cope. Are there any other issues that need to be addressed in your life so that you can continue with the work that God has called you to do? We all go through those times. We all feel discouraged. We all feel disillusioned. We all feel frustrated and exhausted. And can I cope with this, really? But we need to be encouraged this morning by what Paul writes to Archippus here. Be encouraged that God has entrusted the work to you in the first place, but not just left you on your own to get on with it. He's promised that he will empower you to see it through. To see it through. And maybe you just need to reach out to the Lord this morning and just be honest with God and say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. I just need to know the filling of your spirit in my life so that I can continue with what you've given me to do. It's not a mark of failure to feel these things. Nice people feel that it is. It's not. It's just a human thing. It happens. It's not feeling like that that's the problem. The problem is, how do we respond to it? How do we deal with it? We need to bring it before God. God has promised that he's given you a work to do in his kingdom and he's given each one of us a work to do. Some of us still need to find out what it is perhaps that he will empower you to carry it through. So let's unite together as a team so that the glory of God and the love of God will be seen in this place. Amen.